0: Forgotten Classics, where a good story never goes out of style. Hello everyone, I'm Julie, and here we have episode 261 of Forgotten Classics as we keep going with the people of the mist. What will Juana and Leonard and Otter do? This most especially applies to Otter, of course, because when we left him, he was trapped in the bottom of the pool having seen the crocodile eat the guy he took down with him, that priest. And he's just, he's like, I've got my homemade machetes and nothing else. Oh, crap. What am I going to do? So we have his adventures to follow. And then we have Juana and Leonard who are at well, I was going to say Nam's Mercy, and they are, but they're at Soa's Mercy, and I'm just going to say, I think Soa's much, much crazier than Nam. Just my feeling. I'm just going to say, she's just nuts. And I've kind of got everything backwards, haven't I? just launched right into the story, and I actually have a podcast highlight for this week. So let me just go ahead really quickly, break the mood, <sighs> and tell you about the Mixology Talk podcast, Cocktails, Mixology, and Making Great Drinks. Now this is a husband and wife team, Chris and Julia Tunstall. I think that's how you say their last name. Chris is a bartender, mixologist, and drink designer julia drinks the drinks (laughs) she also does i guess all the office work at their bar and i have to say when i see things like mixologist and drink designer it tends to make me want to turn the other way and run because it has to do a lot of the times with now make a special syrup using these exotic ingredients so you can use three drops in this well these people don't seem to be like that They've had nine episodes so far, and I really have not gotten that feel at all, which is a pleasure. The episodes so far are about the base alcohols, you know, the basic ones that go into making cocktails, gin, tequila, brandy, whiskey, and then they had a couple of them where they were at a cocktail convention which I guess involves drinking of cocktails, but it's mostly, you know, a working convention about how do you put these things together even better. And the most recent one, which I haven't listened to, is Choosing Great Summer Cocktails. So they're not aiming to put it over anybody's heads. The description says, Chris Tunstall... And his wife, Julia, pair up in this podcast to help you understand the tips, tricks, and techniques needed to create great drinks. This podcast is for experienced professionals and folks new to the cocktail scene and will teach you all about cocktails. From the ingredients in the drinks to the bottles behind the bar and interviews with industry professionals, this podcast will help you make great drinks. So, They have a great chemistry, which one would hope since they're husband and wife, but sometimes that doesn't come through on a podcast. And the episodes are usually about 10 minutes long, 10, 15 minutes long. There've been a few of them that have come closer to 20, but so they're very easy to listen to. And if you're interested in the basics of how these alcohols are made, the sorts of drinks you make with them, they put links to various cocktail recipes on their blog So if you're curious on this subject, here's a good place to start. Give it a try. Now, as I was saying before, when I launched right in, we're at another crisis point. Of course, this book just leaps from crisis point to crisis point, like trying to jump from one rock to another in a rapid. Oh, it's just getting better. Just wait till you see what's coming up. I already set us up before, and I know you're tired of waiting around. So let's dive in, and I'll meet you on the other side. The People of the Mist by H. Ryder Haggard Chapter 32 How Otter Fought the Water Dweller Keeping himself carefully under the overshadowing edge of the rock bank and holding his double-bladed knife ready in one hand, Otter swam to the mouth of the snake's den. As he approached it, he perceived by the great upward force of the water that the real body of the stream entered the pool from below, the hole where the crocodile lived being but a supplementary exit, which doubtless the river followed in times of flood. Otter reached the mouth of the tunnel without any great difficulty, and watching his chance, he lifted himself on his hands and slipped through it quickly. For he did not desire to be seen by those who were gathered above. Nor indeed was he seen, for his red head dress and the goatskin cloak had been washed away or cast off in the pool, and in that light his black body made little show against the black rock below. Now he was inside the hole and found himself crouching upon a bed of sand, or rather disintegrated rock brought down by the waters. The gloom of the place was great, but the light of the white dawn, which had turned to red, was gathering swiftly on the surface of the pool without as the mist melted, and thence was reflected into the tunnel. So it came about that very soon Otter, who had the gift, not uncommon among savages, of seeing in anything short of absolute darkness, was able to make out his surroundings with tolerable accuracy— The place in a corner of which he squatted was a cave of no great height or width, hollowed in the solid rock by the force of water, as smoothly as though it had been hewn by the hand of man, in short, an enormous natural drain-pipe, but constructed of stone instead of earthenware. In the bottom of this drain trickled a stream of water nowhere more than six inches in depth, on either side of which, for ten feet or more, lay a thick bed of debris ground small. How far the cave stretched, of course, he could not see, nor as yet could he discover the whereabouts of its hideous occupant, though traces of its presence were plentiful, for the sandy floor was marked with its huge footprints, and the air reeked with an abominable stink. Where has this evil spirit gone to? thought Otter. He must be near, and yet I can see nothing of him. Perhaps he lives further up the cave and he crept a pace or two forward, and again peered into the gloom. Now he perceived what had hitherto escaped him, namely that some eight yards from the mouth of the tunnel a table-shaped fragment of stone rose from its floor to within six feet of the roof, having on the hither side a sloping plain that connected its summit with the stream-bed beneath. Doubtless, this fragment or boulder, being of some harder material than the surrounding rock, had resisted the wear of the rushing river. The top of it, as was shown by the high water-marks on the sides of the cave, being above the level of the torrent, which, although it was now represented only by a rivulet, evidently at certain seasons of the year, poured down with great force and volume. "'Here is a bed on which a crocodile might sleep,' reflected Otter. "'creeping a little further forward and staring at the mass of rock, "'and more especially at a triangular-shaped object "'that was poised at the top of the sloping plain "'and on something which lay beneath it. "'Now, if that thing be another stone,' thought Otter again, "'how comes it that it does not slip into the water as it should do? "'And what is it upon which it rests?' and he took a step to one side to prevent his body from intercepting any portion of the ray of light that momentarily shone clearer and pierced the darkness of the cave to a greater distance. Then he looked again, and almost fell in his horror, for now he could see all. The thing that he had taken for a stone set upon the rock table was the head of the dweller in the waters, for there in it, as the light struck upon them, Two dreadful eyes gleamed with a dull and changing fire. "'Moreover, he discovered what was the object which lay under the throat of the reptile. "'It was the body of that priest whom Otter had taken with him in his leap from the statue, "'for he could see the dead face projecting on one side. "'Perhaps, if I wait a while, he will begin to eat him,' reflected the dwarf, "'remembering the habits of crocodiles.' "'And then I can attack him when he rests and sleeps afterward.' And acting on this idea, he stood still, watching the green fire as it throbbed and quivered, waxed and waned in the monster's eyes. How long he remained thus Otter never knew, but after a time he became conscious that these eyes had taken hold of him and were drawing him toward them, though whether the reptile saw him or not he could not tell. For a space he struggled against this unholy fascination. And then, overcome by dread, he strove to fly back to the pool or anywhere out of the reach of those devilish orbs. Alas, it was too late. No step could he move backwards. No, not to save his life. Now he must go on. It was as though the water-dweller had read his mind and drew his foe towards itself to put the matter to the test. Otter took one step forward. Rather would he have sprung again off the head of the Colossus, and the eyes glowed more dreadfully than ever, as though in triumph. Then, in despair, he sank to the ground, hiding his face in his hands and groaning in his heart. This is a devil that I have come to fight, a devil with magic in his eyes, he thought. And how can I, who am but a common knob-nosed dwarf, Do battle against the king of evil spirits clothed in the shape of a crocodile. Even now, when he could not see them, he felt the eyes drawing him. Yet, as they were no longer visible, his courage and power of mind came back to him sufficiently to enable him to think again. Otter, he said to himself, If you stay thus, soon the magic will do its work. Your sense will leave you. And that devil will eat you up as a cobra devours a meerkat. Yes, he will swallow you, and his inside will be your grave, and this is no end for one who has been called a god. Men, let alone gods, should die fighting, whether it be with other men, with wild beasts, with snakes, or with devils. Think now, if your master, the Deliverer, saw you crouch thus like a toad before an adder, how he would laugh and say, Ho, ho, I thought this man brave. Ho, he talked very loud about fighting the water-dweller, you who came of a line of warriors. But now I laugh at him, for I see he is but a cross cur and a coward. Yes, yes, you can hear his words, Otter. Say now. Will you bear their shame and sit there until you are snapped up and swallowed? Thus the dwarf addressed himself, and it seemed to his bewildered brain that the words which he had imagined were true and that Leonard really stood by and mocked him. At last he sprang to his feet and crying, Never, boss! So loudly that the cave rang with the echoes of his shout, he rushed straight at the foe, holding the two-bladed knife in his right hand. The crocodile that was waiting for him to fall insensible, as had ever been the custom of the living victims on whom it fixed its baneful glare, heard his cry, and awoke from its seeming torpor. It lifted its head. Fire seemed to flash from its dull eyes. Its vast length began to stir. Higher and higher it reared its head. Then, of a sudden, it leaped from the slope of rock as alligators, when disturbed, leap from a river bank into the water— "'coming so heavily to the ground that the shock caused the cave to tremble "'and stood before the dwarf with its tail arched upward over its back. "'Again,' Otter shouted, half in rage and half in terror, "'and the sound seemed to make the brute more furious. "'It opened its huge mouth as though to seize him "'and waddled a few paces forward, halting within six feet of him.' Now the dwarf's chance had come, and he knew it, for with the opportunity all his courage and skill returned to him. It was he who sprang, and not the crocodile. He sprang. He thrust his arm and the double knife far into the yawning mouth and for a second held it there, one end pointing upwards to the brain and one to the tongue beneath. He felt the jaws close, but their rows of yellow fangs never touched his arm for there was that between them which held them some little space apart. Then he cast himself on one side into the ground, leaving the weapon in the reptile's throat. For a few moments it shook its horrible head, while Otter watched it gasping, for the reek of the brute's breath almost overpowered him. Twice it opened its great jaws and spat, and twice it strove to close them. Oh! WHAT IF IT SHOULD RID ITSELF OF THE KNIFE OR DRIVE IT THROUGH THE SOFT FLESH OF THE THROAT? THEN HE WAS LOST INDEED. BUT THIS IT MIGHT NOT DO, FOR THE LOWER BLADE CAUGHT UP ON THE JAWBONE, AND AT EVERY EFFORT IT DROVE THE SHARP POINT OF THE UPPER KNIFE DEEPER TOWARD ITS BRAIN. MOREOVER, SO GOOD WAS THE STEEL, AND SO FIRM WERE THE hide BINDINGS OF THE HANDLES, SHRUNKEN AS THEY WERE WITH THE WET, THAT NOTHING BROKE OR GAVE. "'Now he will trample me, or dash me to pieces with his tail,' said Otter. But as yet the snake had no such mind. Indeed, in its agony, it seemed to have forgotten the presence of its foe. It writhed upon the floor of the cave, lashing the rock with its tail and gasping horribly the while, Then suddenly it started forward past him, and the tough hide-rope about Otter's Middle ran out like the line from the bow of a whale-boat when the harpoon has gone home in the quarry. Thrice the dwarf spun around violently. Then he felt himself dragged in great jerks along the rocky floor, which, happily for him, was smooth. A fourth jerk, and once more he was in the water of the pool. I am being carried to its remotest depths. Now he is mad thought Otter, who ties himself to such a fish as this, for it will drown me ere it dies. Had Otter been any other man, doubtless this would have been so. But he was as nearly amphibious as a human being can be, and could dive and swim and hold his breath, yes, and see beneath the surface as well as the animal from which he took his name. Never did such gift stand their owner in better stead than during the minutes of this strange duel. Twice the tortured reptile sank to the bottom of the pool, and its depth was great, dragging the dwarf after it, though as it chanced between dives it rose to the surface, giving him time to breathe. A third time it dived, and Otter must follow it, on this occasion to the mouth of one of the subterranean exits of the water into which the dwarf was sucked. Then the brute turned, heading up the pool with the speed of a hooked salmon, and Otter, who had prayed that the line would break, now prayed that it might hold, for he knew that even he could never hope to swim against that undertow. It held, and once more they rose to the surface where the reptile lay lashing the waters in its pain, blood pouring from its mouth and nostrils. Very glad was Otter to be able to breathe again, for during that last rush he had gone near to suffocation. He lifted his head, inhaling the air with great gulps, and saw that the banks of the pool were lined with spectators who shouted and surged in their mad excitement. After that he did not see much more for a while, since just then it seemed to occur to the crocodile for the first time that the man alongside him was the cause of his suffering. At least it wallowed round, causing the waters to boil about its horny sides, and charged him. With its fangs it could not bite, therefore it struck at him with its tail. Twice Otter dived, avoiding the blows, but the third time he was not so successful, for the reptile followed him into the deep water and dealt him a fearful stroke before he could either sink or rise. He felt the rough scales cut into his flesh, and a sensation as though every bone in his body was breaking, and his eyes were starting from his head. Faintly and more faintly he struggled, but in vain, for now life and sense were leaving him together, and everything grew black. But suddenly there came a change, and Otter knew vaguely that again he was being dragged through the water and over rock. Then darkness took him, and he remembered no more. When the dwarf awoke, it was to find himself lying on the floor of the cave, but not alone, for by his side, twisted into a last and hideous contortion, lay the snake-god, dead. The upper part of the double-knife had worked itself into its brain, and with a dying effort it sought the den where it had lived for centuries, dragging Otter with it, and there expired, how or when, he knew not but the dwarf had triumphed. Before him was stretched the ancient terror of the people of the mist, the symbol, and indeed the object of their worship, slain by his skill and valor. Otter saw, and bruised and shaken as he was, his heart swelled with pride, for had he not done a deed single-handed, such as was not told of in the stories of his land? "'Oh, that the boss were here to see this sight,' he said as he crawled along the length of his dead enemy, and seated himself upon its flat and loathsome snout. Alas, he spares my life that I may live to sing the song of the slaying of the devil of the people of the mist. Wow, that was a fight. When shall a man see another?' And, lo, save for many bruises and the cutting of the rope around my middle, I am not greatly hurt, for the water broke the weight of his tail when he smote me with it. After all, it is well that the line held, for it served to drag me from the pool as it had dragged me into it. Otherwise I had surely drowned there. See, though, it is nearly done with. And grasping that end of the cord which hung from the jaws of the crocodile— he broke it with a jerk, for with the exception of half a strand it was frayed through by the worn fangs. Then, having rested himself a little and washed the worst of his hurts with water, Otter set himself to consider the position. First, however, he made an utterly ineffectual effort to extract the great knives. Ten men could not have removed them, for the upper blade was driven many inches into the bone and muscles of this reptile's massive head but for this chance it would soon have shaken itself clear of them. But as it was, every contortion and gnashing of its jaws had only served to drive the steel deeper, up to the hilt, indeed. Abandoning this attempt, the dwarf crept cautiously to the mouth of the cave and peered at the further banks of the pool, whence he could hear shouts and see men moving to and fro, apparently in a state of great excitement. "'Now I am weary of that pool,' He said to himself, and if I am seen in it, the great people will surely shoot at me with arrows and kill me. What shall I do then? I cannot stay in this place of stinks with the dead devil and the bones of those whom he has devoured until I die of hunger. Yet this water must come from somewhere. Therefore, it seems best I should follow it a while, searching for the spot where it enters the cave. It will be dark walking. But the walls and the floor are smooth, so that I shall not hurt myself. And if I find nothing, I can return again and strive to escape from the pool by night. Having decided upon the adventure, Otter began to carry it out with characteristic promptness, The more readily indeed, because his long immersion in the water had chilled him, and he felt a weariness creeping over him as a result of the terrible struggle and emotions that he had passed through. Coiling the hide-rope about his middle— which was sadly cut by its chafing, he started with an uncertain gait, for he was still very weak. A few steps brought him to that rock on which he had discovered the head of the reptile, and he paused to examine it. Climbing the standing stone, no easy task, for it was as smooth as ice, he came to the table-like top. On its edge lay the body of that priest who had shared his fall from the head of the colossus. Then he inspected the surface of the rock, "'and for the first time understood how old that monster must have been "'which he had conquered in single combat. "'For there, where its body had lain from generation to generation, "'and perhaps from century to century, "'the hard material was worn away to the depth of two feet or more, "'while at the top of the sloping stone was a still deeper niche, "'wherein its head reposed as it lay keeping its sleepless watch "'on the waters of the pool.' Around this depression, and strewn about the floor of the cave itself, were the remains of many victims, a considerable number of whom had not been devoured. In every case, however, the larger bones were broken, and from this circumstance Otter judged that although it was the custom of this dreadful reptile to crush the life out of all who were thrown to it with a bite of its fangs, yet, like that of other animals, its appetite was limited, and it was only occasionally that it consumed what it had killed. The sight of these remains was so unpleasant and suggestive that even Otter, who certainly could not be called squeamish, hastened to descend the rock. As he passed round it, his attention was attracted by the skeleton of a man, whom from various indications must have been alive within the last few weeks. The bones were clad in a priest's cloak, of which the dwarf, who was trembling with cold, hastened to possess himself. As he picked up the robe he observed beneath it a bag of tanned oxide that doubtless had once been carried by the owner of the cloak. Perhaps he kept food in this, thought Otter. Though what he came to visit the water dweller should want with food I cannot guess. At the least it will be bad by now, so I will leave it and be gone. Only a vulture would stay for long in this house of the dead. Then he started forward. For a few yards more he had light to guide his steps, but very soon the darkness became complete. Still the cave was not difficult to travel, for everywhere the rock was smooth and the water shallow. All that he needed to do was walk straight on, keeping touch of one side of the tunnel with one hand. Indeed, he had but two things to fear, that he should fall into some pit, and that he might suddenly encounter another crocodile. For doubtless, thought Otter. THE DEVIL WAS MARRIED. But Otter fell into no hole, and he saw no crocodile, since, as it chanced, the water-dweller of the people of the mist was a bachelor. When the dwarf had travelled up a steep slope for rather more than half an hour, to his intense joy he saw light before him and hurried toward it. Presently he reached the further mouth of the cave that was almost closed by blocks of ice, among which a little water trickled. Creeping through an aperture, he found himself upon the crest of an impassable precipice at the back of the city, and that before him a vast glacier of green ice stretched upwards, whereon the sun shone gloriously. Chapter 33. Trapped It will be remembered that some hours before Otter found himself in the light of day, after his conquest of the reptile god— Leonard found himself in a very different place, namely in a secret passage bearing the senseless form of Juana in his arms, and being guided by Soa whither he knew not. On they went through various tunnels, of the turnings of which Leonard tried to keep count in his mind, till at length Soa ushered him into a rock-hewn cell that evidently had been prepared for their reception for on one side of it stood a bed covered with skin blankets, and on the other a table provided with the best food the country could offer. At a sign from Soa, he laid Juana down upon the bed, whereon the woman instantly threw a blanket over her so as to hide her face from the eyes of the curious. Then, of a sudden, Leonard felt himself seized from behind, and while his arms were held by two of the priests, a third, under Soa's direction, removed his revolver and hunting knife, which weapons were carried away. "'You treacherous hag!' said Leonard to Soa. "'Be careful lest I kill you.' "'To kill me, deliverer, would be to kill yourself and another.' "'These things are taken from you "'because it is not safe that you should have them. "'Such toys are not for angry children. "'Stay,' she said to a fourth priest. "'Search his pockets.' "'The man did as he was ordered, "'placing everything that Leonard had about him, "'such as his watch, Francisco's notebook and rosary, "'and the great ruby stone in a little pile upon the table. "'Presently he came to the fragment of poison,' "'which was wrapped in a square of kidskin. skin. "'So it took it, and after examination said, "'Why, deliverer, you have been borrowing medicine "'that will bring you bad luck if you keep it.' "'And going to a small aperture in the wall of the cell, "'she threw the tiny packet out of it, "'and after it a second packet, which Leonard recognized "'as having been taken from Juana's hair. "'There, now you cannot hurt yourself.' "'she added in Portuguese. "'Let me tell you something. "'So long as you remain quiet, all will be well. "'But if you attempt violence or escape, "'then you shall be bound and placed by yourself. "'Also you will bring about the death of the shepherdess yonder. "'Be warned, then, by me, white man, "'and turn gentle, for remember that my day has come at last, "'and you are in my power.' "'That is very clear, my estimable friend,' answered Leonard, controlling his wrath as best he might. "'But for your sake I hope that the hour will never come when you shall be in mine, for then I may remember more than you wish. I do not in the least understand what you are aiming at, nor do I much care, so long as a certain person is protected.' "'Do not fear, Deliverer. She shall be protected.' As you know well, I hate you, and yet I keep you alive, because without you she might die. Therefore, for her sake, be careful. Attempt no violence toward me or my father if we visit you alone, for we shall do so in order that she may not be discovered. And the moment that you lift a hand against us will be the beginning of her doom. And now I must leave you for a while, for something passes in the temple which I desire to see." If she awakes before I return, be careful not to frighten her. Farewell. Then Soa went, taking the priests with her, and the massive timber door was closed upon them. After he had restored his various belongings to his pockets, the revolver and the knife which had been removed excepted, Leonard turned down the rug and looked at Juana, who appeared to be plunged in a deep and happy sleep, for there was a smile upon her face. Next, he examined the place where they were confined. It had two doors, that by which they had entered, and a second of equal solidity. The only other opening was the slit out of which Soa had dropped the poison. It was shaped like an inverted loophole, the narrow end facing inward. This aperture attracted Leonard's attention, both on account of its unusual form and because of the sounds that reached him through it. Of these, the first and most pervading was a noise of rushing water. Then, after a while, he distinguished a roar as of a multitude shouting, that was repeated again and again at intervals. Now he knew where they must be. They were hidden away in the rock of the temple, somewhere in the immediate neighborhood of the raging pool that lay in front of the Colossus. And these sounds which he heard were the clamor of the people who watched the fate of Otter and Francisco. This conviction was terrible enough, but had he known that as it entered his mind the body of his friend the priest was traveling on its last journey within four feet of his eyes, Leonard might have been even more prostrated than he was. For an hour or more the shouting continued, then followed a silence broken only by the everlasting murmur of the waters without. When Soa departed she had left a fragment of dip made of goat fat burning upon the floor, but very soon this expired, leaving them in darkness. Now, however, light began to flow into the dungeon, through the slit in the rock, and it seemed to Leonard that the character of this light was clearer than that to which they had been accustomed in this gloomy land. After a while, Leonard sat down upon a stool, which he placed close to Juana's bed, just where the beam of light pierced the shadows, and groaned aloud in the bitterness of his heart, It was over. The pure-hearted martyr Francisco was dead, and with him Otter, his faithful friend and servant. Except Soa, who had become an active enemy, at least so far as he was concerned, of all who traveled to this hellish country, Juana and he alone were left alive, and sooner or later fate must overtake them also the greatest and last failure of his life was about to be consummated, and he would go down into a nameless grave, there to be lost, having for many years suffered and toiled to no purpose, pursuing a chimera. Juana still slept heavily under the influence of the drug, and he was glad of it, for when she woke it must be to a worse misery than any that had gone before. Partly for something to do, and partly because the cravings of nature made themselves felt even through his sorrows, Leonard turned to the table and ate and drank of the viands there, though not without fear that they might be doctored. As the food took effect upon him, some share of hope and courage entered into his heart, for it is a true saying that a full stomach makes a brave man. After all, they too still breathed, and were unharmed in the body, nor was it absolutely certain that they would be called upon to give up the ghost at present. This was much. Moreover, he had lived long enough to win the love of the fearless and beautiful girl who slept beside him, and though perhaps under such circumstances love, however true and passionate, ceases to occupy a commanding place in a man's heart. Even then he felt that this was more, and that happier days might dawn when it would be, if not everything, at least most of all. As he thought thus, he saw color creep into Juana's pale face. Then she sighed, opened her eyes, and sat up. "'Where am I?' she said, glancing round wildly. "'This is not the bed on which I lay down. Oh!' she started. "'Is it over?' "'Hush, dear, hush, I am with you.' "'said Leonard, taking her hand. "'So I see. "'But where are the others, and what is this dreadful place? "'Are we buried alive, Leonard? "'It looks like a tomb. "'No, we are only prisoners. "'Come and eat and drink something, "'and then I will tell you the story.' "'She rose to obey him, "'and for the first time her eyes fell upon the robe she wore. "'Why, this is Francisco's. "'Where is Francisco?' "'Eat and drink.' he repeated. She did his bidding mechanically, watching his face the while with wondering and frightened eyes. ''Now,'' she said, ''tell me, I can bear this no longer. Where are Francisco and Otter?'' ''Alas, Juana, they're dead,'' he answered solemnly. ''Dead?'' she wailed, wringing her hand. ''Francisco dead? Why then are we still alive?'' Have courage and listen, Juana. After you went to sleep in the palace, Soa came to us with a plan which we accepted. What was the plan? She asked hoarsely. Twice he strove to tell her, and twice he failed. The words would not come. Go on, why do you torment me? It was this, Juana, that Francisco should be dressed up in the robe of Aca and offered up with Otter in your place while you were hidden away. "'Has it been done?' she whispered. "'I believe so,' Leonard replied, bowing his head to his breast. "'We are prisoners in a secret cell beneath the feet of the statue. "'There has been great noise and confusion without, and now for some time, silence.' "'Then Juana sprang up and stood over him with flashing eyes. "'How dared you to do this?' she said. "'Who gave you leave to do it? "'I thought that you were a man. "'Now I see you are a coward.' "'Juana,' said Leonard, "'it is useless for you to talk like this. "'Whatever was done was done for your sake, "'not for that of anyone else.' "'Oh, yes, you say so, "'but I believe you made a plot with Soa "'to murder Francisco "'in order that you might save your own life. "'I have done with you. "'I will never speak to you again.' "'You can please yourself about that,' answered Leonard, who by now was thoroughly enraged. "'But I am going to speak to you. Look here. You have said words to me for which were you a man, I would do my best to be avenged upon you. But as you are a woman, I can only answer them and then wash my hands of you. As you must know, or will know, when you come to your right mind, I would gladly have taken Francisco's place. But it was impossible.' For had I attempted to dress myself up in the robe of Acca, I should instantly have been discovered, and you would have paid the price of my folly. We all knew this. And after we had consulted, things were arranged, as I have told you. I only consented to your being brought here on the condition that I was allowed to accompany you for your protection. Now I wish that I had left it alone and gone with Francisco.' Then, perhaps, I should have found peace instead of bitter words and reproaches. However, do not be afraid, for I think it probable that I shall soon follow him. I know that you were very fond of this man, this hero, and also either by accident or design that you had succeeded in making him a great deal too fond of you for his peace of mind. Therefore I make excuses for your conduct, which— with all such deductions, still remains perfectly intolerable. He paused and looked at her as she sat on the edge of the couch, biting her lip and glancing toward him now and again with a curious expression on her beautiful face, in which grief, pride, and anger all had their share. Yet at that moment Juana was thinking not of Francisco and his sacrifice— but of the man before her whom she had never loved so well as now, as when he spoke back to her thus bitterly, paying her back in her own coin. "'I cannot pretend to match you in scolding and violence,' she said. "'Therefore I will give up my argument. Perhaps, however, when you come to your right mind, you will remember that my life is my own and that I gave nobody permission to save it at the cost of another person's.' What's done is done, answered Leonard moodily, for his anger had burnt out. Another time I will not interfere without your express wish. By the way, my poor friend asked me to give you these. And he handed her the rosary and the notebook. He has written something for you to read on the last sheet of the journal, and he bade me say that should you live to escape, he hoped that you would wear these in memory of him. And he touched the beads and also that you would not forget him in your prayers. Juana took the journal, and holding it to the light, opened it at hazard. The first thing that she saw was her own name, for in truth it contained, among many other matters, a record of the priest's unhappy infatuation from the first moment of their meeting, and also of his pious efforts to overcome it. Turning the pages rapidly, she came to the last on which there was any writing, It ran as follows. Signora, of the circumstances under which I write these words you will learn in due course. The pages of this journal, should you deign to study them, will reveal to you my shameful weakness. But if I am a priest, I am also a man, who soon shall be neither, but as I hope, an immortal spirit, and the man in me, following those desires of the spirit that find expression through the flesh, has sinned and loved you." Forgive me this crime, as I trust it will be forgiven elsewhere, though myself I cannot pardon it. Be happy with that noble gentleman who has won your heart, and who himself worships you as you deserve. May you be protected from all the dangers that now surround you, as I think you will, and may the blessing of heaven be with you and about you for many peaceful years, till at length you come to the peace that passeth understanding." And when, from time to time, you think of me, may you in your heart couple my name with certain holy words. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. Signora, pardon me, and farewell. Juana read this touching and noble-hearted adieu with an ever-growing wonder, and when she had finished it, put down the book crying aloud, "'Oh, what have I done to deserve such devotion as this?' "'Then, with a strange and bewildering inconsequence, "'she flung herself into Leonard's arm, "'and burying her face upon his breast, she began to weep. "'When she was somewhat calmer, he also read the letter "'and closed the book, saying, "'The world is poorer by a perfect gentleman. "'He was too good for any of us, Juana.' "'I think so,' she answered.' Just then they heard a sound without the door. It opened, and Nam entered, accompanied by Soa. Deliverer, said the aged priest, whose countenance and troubled eyes bore traces of many conflicting emotions. And you, shepherdess, I come to speak with you. As you see, I am alone except for this woman. But should you attempt any violence toward her or me, that will be the signal for your deaths." With much toil and at no little risk to myself, I have spared the life of the shepherdess, causing the white man, your companion, to be offered up in her place. "'Has that offering been accomplished?' broke in Leonard, who could not restrain his anxiety to learn what had happened. "'I will be frank with you, Deliverer,' answered the high priest, when Juana had translated his question. Since the truth cannot hurt me, for now we know too much of one another's secrets to waste time in bandying lies. I know, for instance, that the shepherdess and the dwarf are no gods but mortal like ourselves, and you know that I have dared to affront the true gods by changing the victim whom they had chosen. The sacrifice has been accomplished, but with so many signs and wonders that I am bewildered. The people of the mist are bewildered also, so that none know what to think. The white man your companion was hurled fainting into the waters when the dawn had broken upon the mountain, and was seen to have been grey. But the dwarf your servant did not wait to have that office done for him, for he sprang thither himself, aye, and took one with him. "'Bravo, water!' cried Leonard. "'I knew that you would die hard.' "'Hard did he die indeed, Deliverer,' said Nam with a sigh. "'So hard that even now many swear that he was a god and not a man. "'Scarcely had they all vanished into the pool "'when a wonder chanced such as has not been told of in our records. "'Deliverer, the white dawn has turned to red. "'Perchance as I cried to calm the people "'because the false gods had met their doom.' the true ones must be singularly blind, said Juana, seeing that I, whom you dare to call a false god, am still alive. This argument silenced Nam for a moment, but presently he answered, Yes, shepherdess, you are still alive, he said, laying a curious emphasis on the still. And indeed, he added hastily. If you are not foolish, you may long remain so, both of you, for I have no desire to shed your blood, who only seek to end my last days in peace. But listen to the end of the tale. While the people wondered at the omen of the changed dawn, it was seen that the dwarf your servant was not dead there in the pool. Yes, this was seen, Deliverer, to and fro when the troubled waters rushed the great water-dweller and after him, keeping pace with him, went that dwarf who was named Otter. Aye, round and round and down to the lowest depths, though how it could be that a man might swim with the snake, none can say. Oh, bravo, Otter, said Leonard again, bethinking him of an explanation of the mystery which he did not reveal to Nam. Well, what was the end of it? "'That none know for certain, Deliverer,' answered the priest perplexedly. "'At last the water-dweller, from whose mouth poured blood, was seen to sink with the dwarf. Then he rose again and entered into the cave his home. But whether the dwarf entered with him or no, I cannot say, for some swear one thing and some another, and in the foam and shadow it was hard to see. Moreover, none will venture there to learn the truth.' "'Well, dead or alive, he made a good fight for it,' said Leonard. "'And now, Nam, what is your business with us?' This question appeared to puzzle the priest a little, for to speak the truth, he did not care to disclose the exact nature of his business, which was to separate Leonard from Juana without force if possible. "'I came here, Deliverer,' he answered, "'to tell you what had happened.' "'Exactly,' said Leonard. "'To tell me that you have murdered my best friend and one who was but lately your god. "'I thank you for your news, Nam, and now, if I might make bold to ask it, "'what are your plans with reference to ourselves? "'I mean, until it suits you to send us after our companions.' "'Believe me, Deliverer, my plan is to save your lives.' If the others have been sacrificed, it was no fault of mine, for there are forces behind me that I cannot control even when I guide them. The land is in confusion, and full of strange rumors. I know not what might happen during the next few days, but till they are over you must lie hid. This is a poor place in which to dwell, but there is none other safe and secret. Still... "'Here is another chamber which you can use, perchance you have already seen it.' And placing his hand upon what appeared to be a latch, he opened the second door which Leonard had noticed previously, revealing a cell of very similar construction to that in which they were, and of somewhat larger size. "'See, deliverer,' he went on, "'here is the place.' And he stepped forward to enter the cell, "'then drew back as though in courtesy "'to allow Leonard to pass in before him. "'For once Leonard's caution forsook him, "'for at the moment he was thinking of other things. "'Almost mechanically he passed the threshold. "'Scarcely were his feet over it "'when he remembered the character of his host "'and the lodging and turned quickly to come back. "'It was too late, "'for even as he turned, "'the heavy timber door closed in his face with a crash.' And he was caged. I knew we shouldn't trust Nam and Zoa. I knew it! Well, what choice did they have, really? But still, you know? Also, Juana, really? Really, Juana? Your first reaction is to yell at Leonard because you know he was a coward? Um, stop it. I don't know how Leonard can even care about her anymore, but I guess love is really blind. I just was stunned by that. I was going, you've got to be kidding me. She's just so hard to be around. Well, they may not have that problem for too long anyway. Since they've separated Leonard and Juana, and we do not know why... As far as Otter, okay, I have to say the author really cracked me up going, oh, because savages often can see in total darkness. Like, okay, they're not cats, and even cats have to have a little light, but that did really crack me up. I really, really love Otter, as you know, and this is one of the things that made me love him is the way he psyched himself up to fight the crocodile and to be able to resist its eyes, the lure of those magical eyes, in giving himself a pep talk as if Leonard was scorning him, you know? And isn't that the way that a lot of times we have to get through things is going, oh my gosh, I really don't want to admit to this person. Or if so-and-so could see me now, I would just blush to think of, you know, whatever it is I'm doing or not doing. So I really did love that. And then One more time, Otter shows just how different he is from all of us who are reading along going, no, no, take the hide bag on the priest's body. He probably didn't have food. It was probably those rubies. Hey, Otter. No, gone. I'm just like, oh man, you're so right in so many ways and so clueless in other ways. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty hooked. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. And speaking of what's going to happen next, in terms of the book after this one, I actually got an email mentioning Robert Louis Stevenson's book, Kidnapped. I always loved the book, Kidnapped. And I don't know why every teacher or every podcast or every whoever always just does Treasure Island as if that's the only book Stevenson ever wrote. Or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That one also is a favorite. He wrote a lot of stuff. And in fact, if you have a Kindle, or probably a Nook too, I imagine, there's a publisher called Delphi Classics, D-E-L-P-H-I, and you can get Robert Louis Stevenson's entire works as well as a few other people's critiques of him or biographies of him that are out of copyright, all for something like 2 or $3. So I'll put a link to that, but definitely go and look for that. So I'm thinking about that. I'm also thinking about a Jane Austen book that not a lot of people read out loud, it seems to me, called Northanger Abbey. And it's one of her early books. It's fairly short, but it's poking fun at gothic novels, the real sensational style of gothic novels. And at the same time as being a classical Jane Austen book. You can kind of see where she's going to go in her other books later. So I'm thinking about that one too. But I have some others that no one's ever heard of. So I'm just looking them over. More as I progress. As I say, we've got a little more to go with this. We've got about 20% more of the book. So if you have ideas, send them along. Now in other news... Scott and I talked about a man for all seasons that just got posted. We had to put it off because of his work. He's been traveling around a lot. And then we next week, we'll talk about a science fiction alternate history book called Pavane. If that's how you say it, P A V A N E. So that's coming up. And in my personal life, Because I have a blog called Happy Catholic and I write a lot of movie reviews on there, I sometimes get to go to advanced screenings of movies that seem as if they might be interesting to the religious audience. I saw a screening for a movie called Calvary starring Brendan Gleeson and directed and written by John Michael McDonagh. I think that's how you say it. I've met him. I still don't know how to say his name. And that was the other bit of news is... He agreed to meet a couple of religious bloggers, and that's me and this Methodist minister who writes reviews. And I didn't know anything about it. The marketer said, they've agreed to meet with you. And I'm like, what? Uh, I'm sorry. I don't think I heard that. So I was quite nervous about it, but what a great guy he was. And what I didn't expect is how much fun it was. It was like one of the best, most intense movie conversations ever as we were talking about his movie. I'll put links to the review and to the interview up for you on the blog. And then the other thing that happened is my husband Tom got his gallbladder out yesterday, which is not that big a deal, they say, or so they told me. And the only problem was I found out later when they were waking him up he didn't seem to be breathing on his own after the anesthesiologist pulled the tube out of his throat. So they had an exciting hour. And poor Tom, he said he woke up, couldn't breathe. And all these people are over him like in a movie. And it was so disoriented. He was really freaked out and I can't blame him. Luckily, everything got back on track and it only delayed things by an hour other than the mental trauma. And uh, we eventually got home. It just took a while. So... That was the scary news, but the good news. And he really needed to have his gallbladder out, evidently. It was in pretty bad shape. So it had to be done one way or the other. But these things have been kind of distracting me from other usual things, like this podcast. And other than that, there's not a lot going on, except it's finally gotten hot. You know, we've had such mild summer weather, Last week I was actually sitting outside and it was about 80 degrees in the afternoon. It was nuts, a good kind of nuts, but I felt like I should be in Vermont or something. I think that's their kind of weather in the summer. Now it's getting back up close to 100, so it's just what we all dread and expect. If you want to contact me and let me know about a book idea or anything else that's on your mind, you can email me at julie at glyphnet, G-L-Y-P-H-N-E-T dot com. The blog for the podcast is at hcforgottenclassics.blogspot.com, and you can leave comments there. And of course, there is always iTunes, where I love getting reviews, and I haven't gotten any new ones for a little while. So, you know, think about that. As always, I really appreciate you coming by. I definitely would not be reading this out loud, and I'm having a great time doing it. So thank you very much. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.